And the first gospel reading uh, is taken from Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 to 9. And it may be found on page 746 of the Church Bibles. Glory to you, O Lord. And the heading is True Fasting. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to my descendants of Jacob and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see them naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And the second gospel reading uh, is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. And that may be found on page 1162 of the Church Bibles. Glory to you, O Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled, him to, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Just say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the continuity of scripture and for all that it teaches us. And Lord, as we spend this time together this evening, we pray that as we leave this place, we would put some of what we hear into action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I suspect that at least some of you will have had pancakes for tea yesterday. Anybody admit to having pancakes? Yeah, lots of hands going up. Good. I know literally hundreds were produced here at St. Paul's for what was a very successful family's pancake party yesterday. And I had a couple at home, and Christine got home, with lemon and syrup. Very scrummy it was too. What most people in the UK know as Pancake Day is actually called Shrove Tuesday in the Christian calendar. Although in some Catholic countries it's known as Mardi Gras, which literally means Fat Tuesday. And for many, Mardi Gras means going to a special carnival, a word that itself comes from two Latin words that mean goodbye and meat. Hence the idea of giving up meat for Lent. But whether it's Pancake Day, Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, uh, Goodbye Meat, Mardi Gras, whatever, yesterday was all about having a good time. A good time before Lent and the fasting that in, in theory anyway then kicks in. The reality of course is that whilst many may have enjoyed a pancake or two yesterday, not that many will actually go up and give some food up or something else throughout Lent. Although to be fair, some may try to give up alcohol or chocolate or smoking, and those of us who are Christians might take up a spiritual discipline, like studying the Bible or reading some Christian books, of which more later. And that's fine, as far as it goes. You may have noticed that all of our usual banners have gone. They're not hanging on the pillars anymore. And that we now have a purple altar frontals over at the, at the, at the, uh, at the altar there, and, pul pu uh, and pulpit falls. Priest stoles and vestments during Lent are predominantly purple, and statues, icons, and pictures are often covered in purple cloth during Lent. And some people even have purple bookmarks in their Bibles, which, which all points us to the other part of Lent required of us as disciples of Christ. The color purple has always been associated with repentance in the Christian church. And the word shrove, as in shrove Tuesday, comes from the medieval word shriven, which means confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness, as Tom has already talked about. Now, although Ash Wednesday isn't actually specifically mentioned in the Bible, some of its ideas certainly are. There are lots of references to sackcloth and ashes in the Old Testament, and we've just heard one read to us from Isaiah. And they were a display of great remorse, repentance, sorrow, and uh, mortality. Often accompanied by fasting, the Israelites would sprinkle ashes on their heads and wear sackcloth. And uh, I carry my little Bible here. This is a Bible I've carried around the world in the Balkans, in Iraq, and various other places. And that little bit of sackcloth and ashes comes from Babylon. But don't tell anybody I picked it up and brought it home. It's from that practice that our Ash Wednesday has its origins. In the early church, somewhere between the 6th and 8th centuries, Christians, as a sign of repentance, 
began to sprinkle ashes on their heads. Initially, it was done in private, but eventually it became a public practice. And instead of sprinkling the ashes, they began to be rubbed onto everybody's foreheads in the shape of a cross, using ashes made from burning some of the old crosses from the previous year's Palm Sunday, mixed in oil, both as a sign of repentance, but also as a reminder of their baptism when the sign of the cross is inscribed on the baby's foreheads, as still happens, of course, today. Why 40 days? Because immediately after Jesus was baptized, he went out into the desert to fast and battle with the devil's temptations for 40 days before emerging stronger than he had been before and ready to begin his ministry and fulfill his mission, heading for Jerusalem and the cross. Interestingly, and I have to say I didn't know this before I was doing some research, although I have preached on Ash, Sunday before, uh, on Ash Wednesday before, um, that I've discovered that the 40 days of Lent don't include Sundays. I don't know whether you all knew that. Because each Sunday is considered to be a miniature Easter, a time of joy and celebration of Christ's resurrection. But during the rest of the week during Lent, we are called to focus on making the journey with him to the cross, thinking about our own temptations and repenting and resolving to do better in resisting them, hopefully turning our lives around and emerging like Jesus stronger than we had been before. But as we set out to do that, we do that carefully. In the passage from Isaiah 58, which you just heard read, we are warned against false piety, doing the right things for the wrong reasons and not linking them to those things that we should also be doing. The traditional acts of Jewish piety, almsgiving, fasting and prayer weren't meant to be public demonstrations. And as Jesus himself says in Matthew's Gospel, those who do their good deeds to be seen by and gain praise from others already have their reward. But those who act in private, quietly doing what is right in response to God's grace, will receive their true reward. Both Isaiah and Jesus are looking for a change of heart rather than a change of diet. But changing our hearts is a darn sight harder than changing our diet for 40 days. And to do it, we have to take a hard look at ourselves and get stuck in with some personal house cleaning, a bit of spring cleaning to our souls, acknowledging that there are some things that need to be fixed and some lifestyles and attitudes that need to change. And we're called to ask ourselves some tough questions, including what kind of person am I and where do I need to get better in my life? Lent is thus about abandoning the sins that we've grown accustomed committing and about renewing our desire to serve God. A time for asking ourselves if we are becoming the person we want to be and more importantly, whether we're becoming the person that God wants us to be. That's the first part of Lent. Integral to it is a second part, which again Tom has alluded to, which is to look away from ourselves and turn to look at Christ. For only by doing so will we achieve what we are hoping to achieve in all of that. Which is what Paul is encouraging us to do in that reading from Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Lent is a time to grow in our appreciation of all that Christ has done for us. Not only do we become more aware of our sins, we become more aware of just how much Jesus loves us, winning the battle for us on the cross to bring about reconciliation with the Father. And in recognizing the enormity of that, we resolve to try to serve him better. Now, this is, of course, easy to say and not quite so easy to do. Preaching on Ash Wednesday is really simply a stammering, a shudder over our collective mortality, our brokenness. And as a preacher, hardly adding much, if anything at all, I can but stand in awe with all of you, pondering the sorrow of sin and the enormity and tenderness of God's mercy. And in doing so, strive to turn a corner and start afresh. Over the next few weeks, we're probably going to see some of those old epic Hollywood films on TV, particularly those associated with Christ and usually produced by Cecil DeMille, if you remember him. One of the great films was Ben-Hur, which you may remember includes the famous reconstruction of a Roman chariot race. The huge oval track where the race was conducted had a wall called the spine running down the middle of the oval. And at each end of the spine, there were turning points marked by columns. Each race consisted of seven laps, and on top of the columns at one end of the spine, there were seven stone dolphins, with seven marble spheres at the other end, one of each being lowered or removed as each chariot or the chariots passed by on each lap. Going down the straight was relatively easy, but a critical moment came when the chariots reached their turning point. Overturning led to almost certain death. Driving a chariot was a very dangerous thing, especially when cornering, which entailed crucially, uh, crucial, potentially life-changing decisions. Today, when someone who is very ill begins to recover, we say that they have turned the corner, and our lives are often marked by other turning points, points when crucial decisions are made or life-changing events occur. We all go through many such turning points, passing our exams, getting married, having children, moving house, changing jobs, facing up to illness, and ultimately, of course, death. For those of us who have decided to follow Jesus Christ, a decisive point came when we repented. We literally turned around and changed direction, deciding to put behind us what, what we had been and turn and look ahead to what we will be. Lent can be such a turning point, a time when we can reflect on Christ's passion and in the light of his love and sacrifice, a time when we can review our lives and decide to make a determined effort to turn and live better ones. Now, of course, as human beings, we will fail year after year. But that doesn't mean that during Lent we shouldn't try again and shouldn't turn back again to Jesus. And in doing so, we should be comforted by the knowledge that in the end, in spite of all of our failures, we are saved not by good works or simply following some centuries-old cultural codes or customs. We're not saved by trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're saved by the forgiving and healing love of Jesus Christ, by the grace of a loving creator God through the death and resurrection of his son.
In Jesus' life, there were quite a few turning points. His baptism marked the point when he went into the wilderness. His return and when he began his ministry uh, was another turning point. In Mark chapter 8, having established his identity by asking the disciples the question, who do men say that I am? He literally turns from Caesarea Philippi and heads for Jerusalem and the cross in order to fulfill his purpose. And of course, his death and resurrection are the decisive turning points in history, which is why Lent begins with a cross of ashes on our foreheads and ends at the foot of an empty tomb, and why he invites us to examine our lives in order to rediscover who we are and who God calls us to be, knowing that at the end of Lent, we can leave our brokenness behind and rejoice in the Easter resurrection. So if you do want to give something up for Lent, why not give up half an hour a day and read your way, for example, through Mark's Gospel? And there are some pamphlets on the front here, but if you're interested, do feel free to take one. Or give up that half hour a day and just read half a chapter from the book of John each day to refresh your understanding of the good news in that Gospel. Half a chapter a day over the 40-odd days, about 43 actually, including the Sundays, will see you through the whole Gospel. Either way, read the verses slowly and think about the words you're reading, and then evaluate, think of your sins, and then rejoice in God's forgiveness. Finally, as we begin the 40-day period of Lent, remember that the action of placing a cross of ashes on our foreheads is intended to remind us that we are not little gods, but God's creatures. It's a reminder of our mortality, and when we forget that fundamental fact, we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble. So as the ash is put on your forehead and you receive the sign of the cross, and as you hear the words, remember that you are but dust, and to dust you will return. Turn away from your sin and be faithful to Christ. And do that resolved to indeed turn back to him, and then let God strengthen you through his word and help you to be rid of whatever needs to go in your life. Amen.